Welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to Mark chapter 1. You'll notice a trend here if you've been at Queen's Church in the last several weeks that we are remaining in the book of Mark. We're going to stay in the gospel of Mark all the way through the end. And it's going to be like a good chili or a good stew. We're going to stay in there for a long time. It's going to sit in the crock pot or on the stove. And uh, we are going to understand this message, this immediate gospel that Mark shares with us. Mark chapter 1 is where we'll be today. We're going to be going into verse 12. A quick quick recap, if you did miss uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, first of all, the Queen's Church podcast is updated, so you can find that on our website, or you can um, just go wherever you find podcasts, um, all of the platforms, and just search Queen's Church, and you can listen to the last two weeks' messages, and then this week's in a couple of days. If something was encouraging to you, feel free to share that with somebody who you think might find it as well. But just to recap, um, week one, we learned that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior that was prophesied by the great prophet Isaiah. John came to pave a straight highway by calling his audience to repentance. If you remember, we envisioned a day when maybe there would be a straight highway from Astoria over to Ridgewood. You didn't have to go all the way through the back streets. John paved that straight highway from our sins straight to Jesus. And week two, Jesus, we found that Jesus is approved by God, the Father, before he ever performed any miracles, any signs, any wonders. He was approved by God. Jesus accepts and saves us in the same way, dying for us while we were still sinners. Remember, we don't get ourselves all clean and ready for church, and, and then Jesus accepts us or sees us as worthy. No, 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 no. He comes to us when we are in our sin, and he saves us. And today we're going to be talking about Jesus' time in the wilderness from Mark chapter 1. Let me read verses 12 and 13. Hopefully you've had time to find those. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation that you didn't like, but you just had to trust either your own abilities in it, or God, or your family, or something. So Hyro, you can throw that picture up. Um, I was skiing last week, and I got myself uh, accidentally into a situation that I did not like. You see that? You see that? That's actually a, a mountain, and down in front of you is a village. But you can't see it, can you? Even from the back, you can tell. Like if if you're thinking that's a little bit murky, I don't know what's going on there. That's the point. Uh, it was very foggy. It was late afternoon. The wind was blowing 40 miles an hour, and the snow was coming down. But it wasn't like nice fluffy flakes. It was almost just sleet. So it's kind of hitting you in the face, and, and you could hear it uh, crackling on my, on my goggles. And we're, you can tell by the pitch, maybe you can tell by the pitch, we're on a black diamond, so it's steep. 
And I was like, I don't really want to be here right now. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to get myself into this. I was realizing that I didn't like the looks of what was in front of me, mainly because I couldn't see what was in front of me. Visibility was really low. I would say now, uh, speaking to this picture, that looks really clear compared to what it felt like in the moment. In the moment, I felt like I was hugging the tree line on the right because I didn't know where other things were going to pop up in front of me, either people or trees or whatever. And you're going, you're going pretty fast. So even if you could see 30 or 40 feet in front of you, that comes every second. So what do you do if you're a skier and you get caught up in something like this? Stop. Is that what somebody say stop? Well, you could stop, but then you're just going to sit there and freeze because it's also very cold in this moment. But what I had to do was I had to trust my training. I had to trust that if I kept my skis facing the fall line, kept pressure on my lead foot as I turned back and forth and kept my eyes not down, which is a temptation when you're skiing and stuff like this, but out in front of me so I could see what was happening. I had to trust all of the things that I had learned about skiing. Because I was in a situation that I did not like the looks of, I had to trust what I knew. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that type of thinking. When we get ourselves into or we find ourselves in a situation that we don't like or we can't control, who do we trust? What do we lean on? How do we pu push through the situation? How do you make it to the bottom of the mountain without falling, or worse, colliding with a tree or another skier? So Jesus here in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, uh, we're going to go, uh, like we did last week, uh, just, just line by line, phrase by phrase, to understand what it is that's happening. What is Mark trying to get across to us? And the first thing that he says is, immediately. Or some of you might have a translation of the Bible that says straight, straight away. Mark constantly, this is the most frequently used word in Mark, is immediately or straight away. He's, he's rushing to things. He's, I think I'm kind of like him a little bit. Lindsay calls me the gas pedal and she's the brake. I'm always going fast. Mar Mark wanted to get this out. It's also the shortest of the Gospels. He's quick. He's passing over some details that other ones are including, which we'll see in a, in a few moments. But he's going quick. He's saying, right after the baptism, right after I saw God the Father and God the Holy Spirit both acknowledge Jesus as divine, recognizing that Jesus is God, right after that happened, boom, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. This word that's uh, translated here, drove out or sent out, is different from Matthew and Luke, who also uh, account this happening. What Matthew and Luke say is that Jesus was led out by the Spirit. It's more gentle, more kind. The Holy Spirit said, come on, Jesus, let's go to the wilderness. But Mark describes it differently. And sometimes when, when this happens, it just means that we're looking, uh, the gospel writers are looking for a more well-rounded understanding of what's happening. And Jesus is describing to them, obviously, they were not there with Jesus. So Jesus, at one point, told them, or many points, told them this story. He told them that he was driven out or led out by the Holy Spirit. The word that Mark uses in the Greek, the original language this was written in, is ekbalo. Say ekbalo. It's used other times in the New Testament as well. When Jesus drives out demons, that's the word that's used. 
Jesus sends out or throws out or drives out the demons from a demon-possessed man, and he sends them into some pigs, and then the pigs go off of the cliff. You guys remember that? That's the same word. So it's almost as if the Holy Spirit, after baptism, after the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, immediately the Holy Spirit said, go into the wilderness. Get out there. Into the desert lands. This is like a rocky wilderness around the Jordan River. To throw out or cast out. And immediately, Jesus does this. We find a few things that happen right here. The first is Jesus gets tempted. And one of the things, Johnny said this in his prayer, we find this in the book of Hebrews, as well as other places throughout scripture, is that it is important that Jesus overcame temptation in his earthly body so that we know that he really was a man. He didn't just use his divine nature to gloss over all of the difficult things you and I are going, are going through. In fact, he submitted himself to God the Father, and he said, I will even go through temptation while I'm here on this earth. So Jesus is tempted by Satan. He's in the wilderness, and he, didn't end up the, he did not end up in the wilderness on accident. That's something that's important. And you may even, if you take notes, you may want to write that down. Jesus didn't get in the wilderness by accident. And I know we're not quite to application yet, like how does this apply to me? But that's something you can remember in your own life. When you find yourself in a wilderness, it's not by accident. He was sent to the wilderness for the purpose of formation and reliance on the Father. And he was sent there to put into practice what the Word had taught him his first 30 years of life. Jesus had been studying the Word. We know this because when he was just 12 years old, his parents realized he wasn't with the caravan as they traveled outside of the city of Jerusalem. And they said, where did he go? They ran back to find him. And when they found him, they said, what were you doing? Why weren't you with us? We thought you were with us. And he said, don't you know I was in my father's house? And the people that found him with said, this boy was teaching us. So we know Jesus was in God's word. He had communion with God all growing up. And in this moment, when he is driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons he's driven out there is to put to practice these things that he has been taught. This time in the wilderness was not by accident. The Holy Spirit sent him there. He didn't just wind up there. And it did not have to be without community. Who was there with him? Did you read that in verse 13? Listen, even Jesus didn't go through the temptation or the wilderness alone. God help us if we think we should or we can. Jesus, in verse 13, did you read it now? Who, who was with him? Well, Satan was with him, yes. That was not the helpful community, though. The angels, they were there ministering to him or comforting him. Um, Luke says, strengthening him. I don't know how you have pictured this. And if you don't ever close your eyes and picture the Bible, I invite you to do that. It can bring life and vibrancy to the words on the page. But when I close my eyes and I picture this, here's what I picture. I'm going to do it to Janelli because I know he don't mind if I touch his shoulders. It's like this. Here, will you hold this, Erica? It's, it, Janelli was Jesus. This is how I picture the angels. That feels good, right? 
Larry's coming home with us. <laughs> he said, man, I like that. You know, like, like as if Jesus were a boxer. And he, and he has his crew in the corner, right? His cut man in the corner. And, and, he's, and, he's, and he's hyping him up. I mean, I, I couldn't really, I, I didn't know what to say in that moment. But you could say some things too, like, come on, Jesus, you got this. We're with you. You're not alone. Thank you. Like Brandon, right there, ministering to me because the mic's cutting out. He knows that's distracting to me, even if it's not to you. But the, it was. The angels are ministering to Jesus, rubbing his shoulders, uh, reminding him of the truth, reminding him of the presence of the Father in the moment. Jesus' time in the wilderness was not by accident, but it also did not happen alone. Jesus had the angels there with him, comforting him, strengthening him, ministering to him. Notice the location of the temptation as well. Where did this temptation happen? So Jesus holds his time of rest and solitude in the very place that the enemy claims his power and authority and where the wild beasts roam free. Mark is the only one to mention this. And scholars disagree all over the map. Like, why did, why did Mark say... That he was with the wild animals. But here's what most people believe. Most of the scholars agree at least it was this. To show us really where Jesus was. Jesus was not in some nice little cave, held up with a cute little fire, cooking his, uh, well he, he was fasting so he didn't cook actually. We haven't gotten to that yet. He's just sitting there praying, worshiping the Lord, singing amazing grace each and every day, morning, noon, and night. No, Mark put him out, out in the wilderness and he said the wild beasts were with him. He's fighting with the, not, maybe not physically fighting, but he's having to fight the elements. The fact that there are serpents, there are snakes in the wilderness, there are cougars out here, there are lions out here. Have that imagery of David fighting the bears and the lions to, to protect the sheep. Jesus is out there in those elements alone. With the angels ministering to him. Notice the location of the temptation. Jesus is resting and praying and fasting in the midst of the wilderness. Among the wild beasts. You see, Jesus transformed the wilderness into a garden for his own prayer and fasting. For his communion with the Father. He went to the very place that Satan had power and authority. Out in the wilderness, where the wild beasts could overtake him. He went out there into the desolate place. He said, this is where I'm going to make my time for rest. This will be my prayer garden. Notice the location of the temptation. So uh, to be clear about his divinity once more, Mark says the angels are subject to Christ's authority. In other words, uh, remember Mark building on the same theme that, that Jesus is the Christ who is also God? He says when Jesus is at his time of need, temptation in the wilderness and the desolate place alone, the angels come and serve him. Reminding us yet again that Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Lord. 
Much like we saw a few verses earlier in his, in his baptism, Mark has on his list of items to make clear in this gospel that we do not fail to understand Jesus' divine nature. Hebrews uh, 1.14 says, Because Jesus is above the angels in superiority, he has the authority to send them to serve those whom he saves. In other words, Jesus, being one who is served by the angels, uses that place of authority to send his angels to serve you and me, those who he saves. Those who have eternal life are also ministered to one another by the angels. Jesus has that authority. So what are some things that you can expect from this passage in your life? One of them would be clear, I think we should all understand this, that you can expect to be led by the Spirit. We know that every person who acknowledges and confesses their sin before God and man, turns from that sin and trusts Jesus, believing on him for salvation, will be saved. And scripture teaches that upon that salvation, we are each filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So if you, like me, have turned from your sin, acknowledge Christ as your Savior, and are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can expect to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you. And, 1A, you can expect the Spirit will lead you where He wants to. Which, by the way, like me skiing, does not always mean that's the place you will want to go. But, and listen to this closely, especially, I was going to say especially new Christians, but sometimes the seasoned Christians, the ones who have been born again for years and years, need this even more. Just remember that it, it may not be the place where you always want to go, but it will always be the best place for you. Where the Spirit leads you is always the best place for you. Don't misunderstand that Jesus, after getting baptized and receiving this grand approval from the Father, the spoken word of God, you are my Son in whom I am well pleased, the Holy Spirit is sending him on him like a dove. Imagine how he felt in that moment, especially in his flesh, resting. The, the, the congregation who was there, his cousin who had just baptized him, he comes out of the water and he receives these accolades, this approval. You think when the Holy Spirit gave him a drop kick to go out in the wilderness, he was like, sweet, can't wait, let's go. No. But the Spirit led him, so he went. Even though it was not a place, it may not have been a place he wanted to go. So we as Christians are a people who dare to say, I may not like the looks of this, but I will trust the Lord in this. I may not like what's going on in this leading. God is leading me out of my comfort zone into something that is sacrificial for me. I may not like the looks of it, but I trust God in it. God is leading me into suffering right now, mentally or physically or relationally. Why? I know that I am following him in prayer, in my community, I'm in the word, yet I continue to suffer. Why is he leading me here? 
We trust God in it, even though we may not understand why we are going there. If you can expect to be led by the Spirit, you expect to be led where He wants you to go, which may disagree with where you want to be, and you are not alone in your distress or your temptation, just like Jesus was not alone in, your dis- in His distress and His temptation. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that clearly, that, that Jesus, with his authority over the angels, uses that authority to share with others, those whom he has saved. If we go over to uh, Matthew chapter 4, let's get, Matthew is not so quick to move on, so he spends a little bit more time helping his readers chew on what this temptation looked like in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and following, we can find some insight into what actually happened while Jesus was being tempted. And I want to go into this a little bit more in detail, uh, even though Mark does not mention it, so that we can understand more clearly how Satan tempts us as well. Matthew chapter 4, just a few pages to your left. In verse 1, we hear that similar language. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness is where the devil lives and reigns and has his authority with the wild beasts. Remember that. So when Jesus went up there, in verse 2, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he felt hungry. Another apologetic for Jesus' human nature. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, This is the infamous quote you've heard quoted if you've ever been around church for very long. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the holy city. (coughs) Excuse me. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he, God, will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, I like that he said again. It seems a little bit dry and sarcastic, right? Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So these temptations coming after this time of rest, of solitude, of prayer, and of fasting. I want to see the three, there's three angles, you may want to write these down. Three angles that Satan comes at Jesus. And these are certainly not the only three angles that Satan can come at someone. He can come at us from any direction that God allows, which is an important thing to remember or learn as we grow and mature in our faith, Satan cannot tempt outside of the will of God. Satan Satan does have power and authority over this earth, like he shared with Jesus, I'll give you whatever you want on this earth. 
He does have power and authority over this earth. But he only has power and authority over this earth insofar it is given to him or allowed to him by God the Father. In a similar way that my kids have their own little bit of authority around our house. Like they have their own room, they have their own bed, all that stuff. Well, the four of them have a room that is their own. That's what I mean. <laughs> Micah was like, I'm going to correct him on that later. <laughs> they have a room that is their own, and in that room they each have their own bed. But they do hear this every once in a while. If they become abusive of that authority and power they have over their things, that, what? I still am in authority over this entire house. And you're, you only have authority and freedom in here insofar as your mother and I allow it. <laughs> this is my house and I make my own rules. That's right. <clears throat> now that's also responsibility, parents, not to lord that over them. So I'm not saying that in, in a demonstrative way, but like God the Father does in this way with Satan. So three ways Satan tempted Jesus. The first is this. We're going to go through these quick. To question God's provision. Satan tempted Jesus to question God's provision. Satan said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If God, your father, is not providing what you need, take it into your own hands and provide your own bread. Jesus responds, how? What is, how does Jesus respond? This is going to be a theme too. It is written, which is with Scripture. Jesus responds each time. Remember what I said in the beginning? Uh, one of the reasons for this temptation was to test Jesus' reliance on the things that he had learned. He knew the word of God. And he used that to fight or to counteract the temptation. So Satan tempted him to question God's provision. This is going to be a great uh, pastor alliteration. You ready? To question God's protection. Will God protect you? Throw yourself off of this temple. Because it's written. So Satan learns it. He's throwing the Bible at Jesus too. It is written that if, 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 uh, if you are thrown down from the highest of heights, God will command his angels to save you before you strike your foot on a stone. Will God protect you, Jesus? He questions, he, he, he tempts Jesus to question God's protection over him. And third, Satan tempts Jesus to question God's providence. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now no, Jesus knows cognitively that God, his Father, is Lord over all creation. And that Satan's reign over the earth is only, it's on a, Satan has a reign on this earth, but it's on a leash. That God controls. But the temptation to Jesus was to say, hey, I know that this is all going to be yours one day, but do you want it now? I could give this to you now. Do you trust that your father will actually give this stuff to you? Or do you want it right now? Because I'll give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And then I'll be your daddy. He's questioning. He's tempting Jesus to question God's providence. Will God really do in his time what you think he said he's going to do? 
It's similar to the way Satan comes at, at Eve in the garden. And he says, did he really say we will surely die? Satan is a deceiver. Sometimes he may tempt you to question God's prov provision, his protection, or his providence. But listen, church, because of Adam's sin, the garden of God's creation, remember Adam and Eve were together with, garden with God in the garden walking in the cool of the morning. There was nothing to divide or separate their relationship from one another. Love and peace and hope ruled in the garden. Tranquility, shalom, wholeness, they were whole. But because of Adam's sin in the garden of God's creation, it was cursed. And we learn about the details of that curse in Genesis chapter 3. But church, listen to this. Because of Jesus' faithfulness in the wilderness, you and I can enjoy the garden once again. So Adam's sin cursed the garden for all of us. And don't, don't look too hard against Adam because all of us joyfully, maybe not joyfully always, but we followed right in step with that sin, right? We were born into sin because of him and then we just continued in it from our pride and our arrogance and our greed and our sexual lusts and our fantasies and our uh, attacks and our hatred upon others and our vices like, um, uh, with, um, like drunkenness and like... Um, I just completely lost all seven vices. I'm not a very good Roman Catholic, am I? Greed, thank you. Gluttony, that, that's the one that was on the tip of my mind. Gluttony. Because of Adam's sin, this curse threw us into a tailspin where the garden was, was no longer accessible to us. But listen, Jesus went into the wilderness that Adam's sin caused, and he made a way for us to be able to enjoy the garden of God once again, because Jesus is in the, in the business of transforming the wilderness into a garden. And that's not just a macro idea. Like, Jesus didn't just do this for the world in general or for uh, a, a thing that serves him in and of itself. Jesus does that for people like you and like me on a daily basis. And Jesus does that for you right now if you are lost in, this, in the sin of your own wilderness. Jesus says, I can turn that wilderness into the garden that it was meant to be. Because of Jesus, even the darkest wilderness you may be lost in is a garden of communion with your Creator who knit you together in your mother's womb, who loves you. He knows you more than you know yourself, better than you know yourself, and he loves you more than you can ever imagine. <clears throat> you know, wildernesses can come at us from a bunch of different angles, too. So just a, a moment longer on wilderness. Some of them you expect, and you can see coming. Some of them, though, hit you out of nowhere. The diagnosis of cancer. A car wreck you learn about. I killed someone you know. Your child falling ill and you being hopeless by what the doctors just told you. Your relationship ending in abuse or an abrupt affair. Some wildernesses just 
hit us out of nowhere, right? And some of them we can see coming. What I just want to be clear and transparent about today from the pulpit is that regardless of how you enter the wilderness, there is still difficulty in it. So just to affirm some of you who might say, like, I, I should have known this was coming. I've seen this. Why is it still hard? I've known about this wilderness for years. And I know that it's not caused by my sin. It's just something that God has for me to suffer in. Some of you may be in a wilderness like that and be like, I feel like that wilderness should be easier, though, because I, I know about it. <laughs> That's not how wildernesses work, though. Uh, when I was 13, <clears throat> I was in our family minivan, and I was on my way home from a youth camp, um, a Christian camp in Glorieta, New Mexico. And my grandfather, Larry Martin, the guy I get my name from, <clears throat> he began asking me about my relationship with God. As a young teenager, I remember telling him that I had gone to be baptized when I was a really little kid uh, because my, my older brother was doing it, and, and I, I kind of understood what the whole thing was, but I really just wanted to get baptized with him. I thought that would be a cool idea. So I did it. I didn't want to be left out. And so my grandfather, being a seasoned preacher of the gospel, <laughs> pushed back on that a little bit to remind me that that God wanted a living and growing relationship with me. And that required my faith to be in Jesus and that faith to be sincere, not out of a desire to join someone else in their journey. So that day, I prayed to trust Jesus as my Savior in the van with my grandpa. And the very next Sunday, my dad, who was also a pastor, is also a pastor, baptized me at our local church. And I've had a special relationship with my grandfather my entire life. It's kind of bizarre sometimes how much I look like him. And I was named after him. I love spending summers traveling uh, Texas to all the tiny churches that he would preach at because he was the director of an association of churches, so he often guest spoke at their congregations. And with Papa, I learned to hunt he taught me how to drive. He sold me my first pickup truck, which is a big deal when you're a 16-year-old in Texas. Now, it was the scrawniest, wimpiest little pickup truck you've ever seen. It was so scrawny and wimpy, like if it rained and I took a curve like m more than 10 miles an hour, it would just fishtail. We had to put uh, uh, bags of um, dirt in the back to keep it on the ground. It was a Dodge Ram 50. Like me and James Franchise back there could pick up that, me and you could pick it up off the ground. That's how little it was. <laughs> but he sold me my first truck. He introduced me to the spiritual disciplines of silence and of solitude, and he helped me learn how to pray. As I was growing up, he survived cancer, not once, but twice. Two different types of cancer, too. And a few, a few years ago, a couple years ago, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which has prevented him from traveling here to the city he loves so much. He's been to New York dozens of times in his life. Mainly he loves it for its coffee, but that's why a lot of us love it anyway. So in the past couple of weeks, uh, he's taken quite a turn for the worse. He's not eating. He's not drinking water. He's not getting out of bed. He sleeps most of the day. I mean, to put it abruptly, he's dying. This wilderness 
the loss of a loved one. It comes to all of us. And this, even, I'm mature enough to see, is maybe the most ideal way it can come to a person. Where you have plenty of time, things that maybe were stolen from you in, in the loss of a loved one in your life. I have time to say goodbye, time to spend, time to reminisce, time to be with him in his last days. But regardless of how this wilderness comes about, the difficulty remains. And it's a difficulty we can all relate to. My desire, though, in this wilderness is to see the Holy Spirit's leading in this. You see how this affects day-to-day -day life? There's a wilderness in front of me right now. And so what I want to pray is that I would see the Holy Spirit's leading or his ekbalo, his saying. And, and this is why I think Mark said ekbalo instead of just led out. Because it's one thing to be led out, right? It's another thing to be going, but I, I don't really want to go right there. And I want to follow you, but I don't really want to go. And the Holy Spirit is like that good big brother or sister in our life who's like, go. Go. Push. You need this. This is for your good. Like for me, maybe, you know, uh, get on that amusement ride that you don't really want to do. A big brother might, might get you on there. And then you love it, even though it's scary. So the Holy Spirit pushes us into these wildernesses. And our des my desire, I'm being for, uh, forthright with you, my desire is to see the Holy Spirit's leading in this, in my life. And the reason I want to see that is because with this perspective, with the heavenly perspective, the wilderness that we're facing can actually become a garden of communion with the Father. Even in the midst of pain and suffering, the loss of a loved one that you may face, that cancer diagnosis. All of those examples I said that are wildernesses, it doesn't matter if, they, if they're sprung on you in a moment or if they're a slow burn and it takes a long time and you see it coming. The wilderness can become a garden of communion with the Father. But the decision that we have is if we will follow the Spirit's leading into the wilderness, trusting that I may not like what I've gotten myself into but I trust the Lord in it. We are a people who grieve differently than the world grieves. We grieve with hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we, we believe in his provision, we believe in his protection, and we believe in his providence over our world and everything in it. And church, let Queen's Church be a place where we even believe that in the wilderness. Either by, whether we enter it by our own sin and the consequences thereof, or by the effects that sin has on our world, like death and sickness. Because with Jesus, our wilderness does not have to be lonely. A beautiful thing Jesus didn't have in his wilderness that he has given to us as a gift, on top of the Holy Spirit, is one another. We have the church. Your wilderness, your, listen, look at me. Your wilderness is not meant to be a lonely one. When the Spirit leads you to a wilderness, 
or you by your own sin cause one to come about. There is no, uh, <laughs> I used to have a, um, a coach who would say there's no heroes out here. His point was like, everybody just do your job. There's no heroes. Don't try to be a hero. That's usually when you make mistakes. There's no heroes here. You're not a hero if you go through the wilderness by yourself and you come out the other side. There's no heroes at Queen's Church. There's no heroes in the Christian faith besides the ones that the Bible says are heroes. So don't quote me on that one. But there's no heroes here. Don't think if I go through this alone, I'll come out and I, got, I, I have stuff to teach other people in this church about going through that wilderness. That's not how it works, guys. What, how it works is you come out on the other side and you say, I got stuff to teach other people because these people shared my burden with me, struggled through the wilderness by my side, and now I get to go and do that with others. That's the church. So the, your wilderness, the, the point is this. Your wilderness does not have to be a desert. With Jesus, your wilderness can become a garden, a garden where you commune with God. As Joel comes, let's transition now to a time of having heard God's word, under, understanding it, hopefully, and then seeking to apply it to our lives. Now, how can we respond? Because God is not a God who just sits up in heaven and receives our worship. God is a God who is actively involved in our lives. He wants a relationship with us. And, and we've seen that the wilderness can turn into a garden when we receive God's provision, we yield to his protection, and we trust God's providence. But my question to you now is, how can you look to Jesus in the midst of the wilderness you might be in today? How can you look to Jesus in that wilderness? And really clearly, if you are lost in the wilderness today right now, and you're alone, look to Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again so that you could receive grace through faith for salvation. And upon receiving that salvation, the Holy Spirit can lead you into the wildernesses of your life with the covering of Jesus Christ your Savior, and with the surrounding of the local body of Christ here at Queen's Church or, or at the church wherever you end up getting plugged into. So if you're in the wilderness alone today, I invite you to come forward when we start singing this song. I'll be standing over here on the side. If I'm praying with someone, someone else from our leadership team will be here and just say, I'm alone and I'm ready to trust Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to come out of this loneliness in my wilderness of sin and I want to live abundantly, with hope, like we just heard from God's word. If you're here and you just would like someone to pray for you, we would love to minister to you, almost in the way that the angels are ministering to Jesus. I'll be standing here again with our, with our prayer team. Feel free to come down and, and allow us to, to minister and strengthen you through prayer to Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you for your grace and your faithfulness. You are faithful to us in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. We praise you right now, whether we're in the wilderness or we're in a time of abundance in our lives. And we ask, Jesus, that you would do that transformative work 
that you tend to do, where you transform our wilderness into a garden where we can commune with our Father. We trust you, Jesus. And I pray right now for those in this room who may be lost in the wilderness alone, not having yet received this, the gift of salvation that you offer, that you have. Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness and courage to come forward and receive Jesus today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this final song of response to the Lord. Thank you.